Amen. Be taking your copy of God's Word and go to Genesis chapter 41. While you're turning there, uh, let me just add to what Jeff said a moment ago. Those folks over there working in Awana, uh, I went out there a little earlier and they were in there. Some of them were in their game time and there were adults out there and kicking the ball around and helping those kids play. And I was thinking those little ones, they're going to remember that all their lives, being out there in that fellowship and playing. And then I saw Wayne, and uh, he didn't know I was going to say this, but Wayne Carmichael, Miss Rhonda's husband, uh, she has him doing many chores over there. And Wayne was out there setting up juice boxes on the picnic table. And not just putting them out there, but they're all standing up in a row. And uh, she had him out there putting them all up. And you know, those kids love them juice boxes. And he said, Pastor, we got the, we got the low sugar ones. I said, man, we ought, to, we ought to get the regular sugar ones and sugar them up and send them home. I said, What's, what are you doing? But he said, no, we got the low sugar ones. And she had them out there. Put, but you know, everybody over there, uh, all the adults and the workers, man, they're investing in the lives of those children, uh, investing in their, in, their, in their Bible verses and in their lives and loving them and encouraging them. And uh, just God uses that ministry to do tremendous things. My 25-year-old son... My oldest boy went through the Iwana program here, and uh, those verses are still in his heart and his mind. He still knows them, and uh, they'll be with him the rest of his life. Uh, I don't think he'll ever act a fool, but if he does, he can't get rid of them verses. They're there, so uh, I'm thankful for that, but thankful for that ministry and what God's doing with that. In, in Genesis 41, we pick up again this evening in the life uh, of Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite uh, persons in the Bible. You can call him a character if you want to, whatever uh, you desire to call him, but what an example he is. We pointed out early on uh, that he is a, a type or a picture of Christ uh, suffering injustices at the hands of the people that he loved and suffering and betrayed and all those things in his life. And you know the story. If you've been with us in our study, uh, his brother sold slavery and he went into Egypt, bought by Potiphar, and, and uh, he was lied upon by Potiphar's wife and accused of things that he didn't do and ended up in, in prison. And most scholars think he was there for quite a while. It wasn't like he got thrown into prison and then, and then he got out. He could have been there 10 years. Now, that's a long time. That's a long time to be incarcerated, particularly unfairly, when you know you're not guilty. And you've got to understand, in Egypt, there's no appeal process. I mean, there's no uh, get yourself a lawyer and appeal and try to get out. No, he was thrown in there and, and by the grace of God didn't have his head chopped off by Potiphar or, or executed. So Joseph's in there. Uh, and one of the things we learn from this young man that we, is that when life seemed to be unfair or, or unjust or just plain difficult, his trust in God never wavered. His faith in God never wavered. And I tell you, what an example for us that is today, and I would pray to God that he would grant us the same kind of, of, of persistence and unflappable nature in Christ, that no matter what comes along, we just decide in the power of the Holy Spirit that we're not quitting, that we're going to keep going and keep serving the Lord, because he is an, a, certainly an example of that. Well, after some considerable amount of time in prison, uh, maybe 10 years or more, God began to work slowly in the life of Joseph. Now, God had always been working in Joseph's life. It wasn't like God had abandoned him, but it was in that plan 
that Joseph would spend time there, and it was preparation for what God would have him to do later. And so in that, guy, in that time, in God's time, things began to happen. You remember that the chief butler and the chief baker were arrested, and Pharaoh had them thrown into, into prison, the same prison where Joseph was, and Joseph was assigned to minister to them. And in ministering to them, he built a relationship with them, and they, and they liked him, and he liked them. And, and one night they had dreams. Each of them had dreams. And you remember, uh, they were sad the next day. And Joseph came in and said, what's wrong with you guys? And they said, well, man, we had dreams last night, and, we, and we're troubled by them because we don't know what they mean. And, and the butler had dreams, and the baker had dreams. And Joseph said, well, dreams belong to God. Tell me your dream, and we'll, we'll see if God will reveal it. And God did reveal it, and, and they told the dreams. And you remember it was... It was good news for the butler and less good news for the baker, right? I mean, the butler, the butler went first. It might, you know, did you ever think of what might happen if the baker would have went first? The butler would have said, don't tell me. I don't want to know. But the, but the butler went first and he said, here's my dream. And he told it. And, and Joseph said to him, well, God has, has revealed that he's going to restore you. You're going to be restored to your job in three days. You're going to be the chief butler again and everything will be good. Well, then the baker was really excited. Remember, he thought, well, he had good news, so my dream must be good news too. And, and Joseph, being the faithful messenger of God, didn't sugarcoat it, and he didn't try to make it sound better than it was. He said, well, in three days, he's going to hang you from a tree, and uh, you're going to die. And uh, so he delivered the message, and sure enough, three days later, what happened? On, on Pharaoh's birthday, uh, the butler was restored, and, and the baker was executed. And so those events, when you just look at them on their own, you might think, well, what was God doing? And Joseph's in jail, and he meets these guys, and one of them gets killed, and one of them goes back to his job. And you remember what Joseph said to the butler before he left? He said, hey, put a good word in for me. You know, you're going to go back to your job and tell them that I'm in here unfairly. Tell them that I'm in here and I didn't do what I'm accused of, and that I've been in here a long time. And how about remember me? Well, the butler got right out of jail and jumped right on that, right? No, no, he didn't. He forgot about Joseph, and he went back to his job. And, and so it seems like, again, Joseph had been forgotten, and he's in this jail, and nobody knows he's there, nobody cares he's there, but God cared. And God's working his plan. And God was bringing Joseph uh, to the right spot. And that right spot is now Pharaoh's going to have some dreams. And God's going to give Pharaoh the dreams, and this is going to open the door for Joseph to be released from prison and for God, listen, for God to be exalted and Joseph to be the instrument. Now, you remember the dreams of Pharaoh. We, I'm just catching you up, okay? If you're jumping in in the middle of the story, I'm just catching you up here. Pharaoh one night has some dreams. You remember his dreams? He dreamed about some, some fat and healthy cows coming out of the Nile River, and they're, and they're grazing there. And I, I would think as Pharaoh, in his dream, that probably made him happy because health and wealth, and the, and the Nile River was known to the Egyptians as the source of life for them. I mean, that was the thing. And so then, after them seven fat, healthy-looking cows came out, seven ugly-looking cows, skinny, came out of the river. And he said the skinny cows ate the fat cows. And then after they ate the fat cows, you couldn't even tell they ate them. And that disturbed him. That disturbed him. And so then he went back to sleep and listen, if you have a dream like that, you ought to just stay up after that. You, I, would, I don't know if you ought to go back to sleep. But he went back to sleep, and he had another dream about the, the wheat, the stalk, you know, with the seven full heads on it. And then the, the stalk came up that was all blighted, and the east wind and tore it all up. 
And he said the, the, the ugly stalks consumed the, the good stalks, and you couldn't tell that the good stalks had even been there. And so now he really is a Serb. So he wakes up from his dream, and he calls in all the, all the wise men to come in and, and interpret the dreams. Look back at, uh, uh, at verses 15 and 16. Joseph is, is called in from the jail. In other words, while all this turmoil is going on in the throne room, uh, the, the butler remembers finally that, hey, there was this guy in jail with us who was a Hebrew kid who could interpret dreams. And he remembers that. Now, was it an accident that he remembered it at that, 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 that exact time? No, there's God. In other words, God had him remember. And God brought Joseph and that butler to this exact time. And so they send word down to get Joseph out of the jail and they clean him up and shave him and and put some clothes on him, give him a bath, and put clothes on him, and bring him in before Pharaoh. And notice what Pharaoh says, beginning in verses 15 and 16. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a, a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream and interpret it. Pharaoh is saying, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. A couple of things that we need to review here again. We touched on this at the end of last week. But there's so much more in here, and I want to delve a little deeper into it. Number one, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and no one can interpret it. You know why that is? Because it was from God. And God didn't want none of them interpreting it. A message from God is only understandable if he makes it understandable. It's discernible. We talked about this a little bit last week. Christians, born-again children of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. We read the Bible, and the Holy Spirit interprets it to our heart. The Holy Spirit touches us with it, and it means something to us. In other words, we hear it taught, or we read it, and, it, and it's precious to us. The lost world, not so much. To the lost world, it's just another book. To the lost world, it's just another religious book, another source of beliefs for Christians that they don't buy into. Well, the reason they don't buy into it is, is they don't understand it because they don't want to understand it. And they've not asked God for understanding, and they, and they don't love it like we do. Because we know Jesus and we know the book, the one that the book's about, and we know the one who wrote it. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, man, I had these dreams, and every wise man in the land is helpless. Nobody can understand what these dreams mean. And then, of course, he says to Joseph, man, I heard a story about you that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph was very quick to say, it ain't me. It ain't me, it's God. Let me tell you, there's a warning, there's a, there's a danger right here. Butter had said to Pharaoh, hey, this guy interpreted our dream, so what does Pharaoh think? If he did it once, he can do it again. So he calls Joseph out here. Now, don't you think for just a moment, I don't know how the room was set up, but I just suspect Joseph is front and center. And all the guys who couldn't understand and couldn't interpret, they're all standing around looking at the new kid. Who's the new guy? Who's the guy we didn't even know existed? Who's this guy from the jail who's supposed to have the ability to interpret dreams because we're the professionals here? An expectation had been set. Now, here's the danger. When the spotlight is suddenly thrust on us, and we're suddenly front and center, and we're supposed to be, there is the human danger of pride. There's the human danger to poke out our chest and say, well, you know, I am the one with answers, and you came to the right guy. There's that danger. Thankfully, Joseph was a little smarter than that. Thankfully, Joseph had a little bit more of God in him, than he had in his flesh, 
And he was quick to say, Pharaoh, I don't know what you've been told, but it ain't in me. I don't have any special voodoo uh, dream interpreting magic going on here. I don't know what these guys have, but I don't have any of that. Now, if Joseph had stopped right there, it would have been a bad day. Pharaoh would have been upset, and it might have been bad for the butler again. But thankfully, Joseph didn't stop right there, did he? He said, it ain't in me, meaning he's deflecting any popularity or pride or any, or any exaltation that might have come to him. He's saying, it isn't me, but let me tell you who it is. It's Elohim. It's the God of the Hebrews. It's the God that I serve. He knows all about dreams. Not only does he know all about dreams, but he interprets them. A little bit of Daniel going on there, isn't there? Daniel said, Joseph said, sir, it isn't, it isn't me. It isn't me who, who does this. It's God. Now, why was it important for Joseph to do that? Think about this for a minute. Same situation that Daniel was in in Babylon that would come later. The Egyptians had a lot of pagan deities. Uh, I, I, looked up a, I looked up a list of them one time years ago, and so I'm just shooting from the hip here. There were a bunch of them, north of 30 or 40 different kinds of, of deities. They worshipped the sun. They worshipped uh, worshipped animals, crocodiles, and, and lizards, and you name it, they worshipped it. And it is a, isn't it interesting, by the way, a little side note here, that when human beings decide to create themselves a god, it always looks part man. Just say it. It might have the head of a lizard, but it has the body of a person. It might have the head of something that has the body of a woman. Why is it that man is always moved to create something that looks like him? Because we think we're at the top of the food chain, that's why. And we think we're all that. But there's a living God that created us, and Joseph is saying to Pharaoh in so many words, I know all these guys tried to help you, and I know you have a lot of deities that you worship, but let me tell you about the one that's really alive. Let me tell you about the one true living God who controls all this stuff that you're troubled about. He's the one who can tell you what you need to know. Now, what kind of testimony do you think that was to a pagan king? Tremendous. What kind of testimony do you think that was to all the wise men who were standing around in a room who think they know everything? Now, I know Joseph would never do this, but after he interprets a dream, don't you think he just wanted to look around at him and go, that's my God. Yours can't do that. But mine can. Of course, he was too kind for that. I'm not sure Daniel was that kind, but Joseph was, okay? But listen, that's the scenario here. Joseph is put in the spotlight, and now all eyes are on him, and, and, and he has to point them to God. He pointed them to God on purpose so that they would know it wasn't him. Now, Pharaoh recounts the dream uh, to Joseph. We read this really quick last week, but I want to read it again. Uh, so that you understand, you know, so that we all have the, the current uh, flow of it. Look at verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Now, let me pause there for a minute. Don't you like the fact that when Joseph said, Let me tell you about the real God who can tell you what your dream means, Pharaoh didn't even ask him a question. 
he didn't even, he didn't even hesitate. He, you know, I think in Pharaoh's mind, he's like, look, whichever God you worship, if he can tell me what I want to know, here's my dream, okay? And so he just goes right into the dream. Look at verse 18. Suddenly, seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. That's pretty strong. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke again. Go get some coffee. Don't, that's enough. But he went back to sleep. Verse 22. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full, of, full and good. And behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads, so that I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. When I read these narratives in the Old Testament, particularly where they are, I try to think of, of the real-life reactions of people, because they were human just like us. And I can picture in my mind Joseph standing, and Pharaoh is recounting the details of his dream, and Joseph is listening to him. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't say at what point God revealed to Joseph. Maybe God was revealing to Joseph the meaning as Pharaoh was talking. I don't know if God revealed to him the dream and the meaning before he got there, because God did that to Daniel. Matter of fact, God told Daniel the dream and the interpretation before he got there. So I don't know where in this whole scenario Joseph is understanding, or maybe as soon as Pharaoh got done, the Holy Spirit said, here's what it means. And to Joseph, it was clear as ringing a bell. He didn't have any problem with it whatsoever. But just as confident as Joseph was in God and the interpretation that God would give, I just, I wrote in my notes the word doubters. I just know standing around the room was all them guys who had failed and they're looking at Joseph. And they already heard these dreams. They already heard this from Pharaoh. They knew what Pharaoh was saying. They'd already pondered it, thought about it, researched it, got together, huddled, tried to figure out what it was, and they couldn't. And so now they're watching Joseph. And they don't trust this kid. This guy, listen, this guy with the strange God, because he ain't of our gods. And he don't worship any of our gods. Who is this kid? And I call them the, the doubters. In fact, I kind of think of it like this. They're looking at Joseph and thinking, man, he is out on a limb all by himself. Because all of us together couldn't figure out what this means. And now he's standing in front of Pharaoh and he ain't going to have a clue. And Pharaoh's going to have his. I just know that's what they're thinking. They're thinking there's no way he can be successful following this God. You know why? Because it's one God and we got many. I got news for you. We don't need many gods. We just need the real one. We need the one that's real. We need the one who really controls everything. And these guys missed that. And I got to thinking, how, how is that not different from society today? Well, it's not much different at all. People look at us who believe on Jesus and follow him as our Lord and Savior and love him and serve him. They look at us like we're crazy. I mean, really, honestly. They look at us with the same thoughts. There's no way they can be successful in life trusting a God. In fact, I've had people tell me, man, your religion is a crutch. And I said, well, it's not a crutch, but I lean on Jesus every day. So you can put it that way if you want to. Yeah. It's not a crutch. It's not something to make us feel better, which is what the world thinks. I've had people tell me, well, you know, you Christians, you just can't really cope with real life. And so you, you need.
need this religious thing to help you get through life. No, no. I believe in the God who controls all of life. And that does help me sleep better at night. How about you? I trust the God that has my soul in his hand for all of eternity, who's my God, my Lord and my Savior, and I sleep very well at night, thank you. How do you sleep? And how do you feel? It's the same scenario. There are people in the world today who just flat out will not believe God. Man, I don't care what you do, they will not believe God. You can show them irrefutable proof. You can use scientific discovery and fact and say, look, here's proof that there's a God. Here's proof that God controls the universe. Just read the book of Daniel. They'll say, no, I don't believe that stuff. And I want to look at them and say, what is wrong with you, man? What's wrong with your brain? Well, it ain't their brain, it's their heart. They just won't believe. They won't believe. And then there are people who see the truth, and they will say to you, yeah, that looks true, but I reject it. I'm not accepting it. And you want to say, it's true. You agree with me that it's true. You agree with me that it's amazing. But you're telling me you just won't accept it. And that's exactly what they say. And again, it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. And then there are the doubters. There are the people who just say, well, you know, I don't know. Does your God really do all that stuff? Man, I'm telling you, he does everything. He does it all and he does it well. Just look at creation. And they just doubt. You know, they just, well, you know, maybe later, maybe later. And the maybe laters never come around to get saved. They just won't. Same group of people that Joseph is dealing with. Same group of people that are standing there looking at him, thinking that he's going to fail. Now, I like Joseph's response. Look down at verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. Now, look at this next statement. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. I really like that. He said, first of all, both of your dreams are about the same event. Now, I just got to imagine all them guys standing around there, and now their mouths are open, and they're like, man, he really understands. I think he knows what this means. And then he said, my God that I just told you about, Elohim, yeah, he's about to do something, and he decided to reveal it to you in these dreams. He's revealing to you what he's going to do. Now, think about that for just a minute. Was God under any obligation to tell Pharaoh there was going to be a famine? Nope. God's not under obligation to anybody. He don't have to do anything because he's God. Matter of fact, God with a capital G means he's not beholden to anybody because he's God. So why did God choose to reveal to a pagan king who doesn't even believe in him what he's about to do in the kingdom? Well, I'm going to tell you there's two reasons. The first reason is called grace. Grace. Think about this for a minute. There's going to be famine. Now, we know we've read the rest of the story. There's going to be famine in Egypt like they had never seen before. As a matter of fact, it's going to be bad. If you know anything about that part of the world, Egypt is the breadbasket of that area. They, Because of the Nile, they grow a lot of food. In an agricultural society, Egypt was the source for food. In fact, during the Roman Empire, they had a steady stream of ships from Egypt to Rome all the time, even in the stormy season, because Rome needed the food, because all the people living there. So we're talking about a place that is known for producing food to feed a large portion of the world around there. God graciously revealed to Pharaoh that there's going to be a famine to give them an opportunity, listen to me, to prepare, to prepare. 
Think if God had not told them that this famine was coming for seven years, the people would have suffered, the people who would have died. You see, God, contrary to what the world thinks, God loves us, and he cares about us. And so one of the if not more. Why did God give us this book? I mean, why? It is the closed canon of Scripture. You see, we have the opportunity in our lifetime and in the church age to read this book and prepare. Right? I mean, you could be a lost person and read this thing. Somebody go, man, look what it says right here. Um, you know, God loves you, and all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, and, and the wages of sin is death. I mean, you can do the whole Romans Road thing and never get out of one book. You know, you read all that and show it to somebody. Why did God reveal all that? If you're lost, to give you an opportunity to do something about it, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, ask him to forgive you and save your soul. You see, listen, it would have been a travesty for Pharaoh to understand the meaning of this dream and do nothing. And do nothing it would have been a travesty. The greater travesty is today that you might be here tonight or watching us online and you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and do nothing. It will perish forever. That's a travesty. Because in the grace of God, has he not given you an opportunity to respond? And sure he has. Sure he has. You know, God reveals not only how to be saved in this book, but listen to me. We studied it in the book of Daniel. God has revealed to us everything he's going to do to the end of human history. I mean, all of it. You don't, have to worry, you don't have to wonder what's going to happen to the world. I can tell you what's going to happen to the world. So how can you tell us what's going to happen to the world? Because God said it in this book. The rapture's coming. Are you ready? You say, how do I get ready? Get saved. Confess your sin. Ask Jesus to save you. Ask him to forgive your sin. Be ready for the rapture. When the rapture comes, the tribulation's coming, seven years. God's going to pour out his wrath. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus is coming back. King of kings, Lord of lords coming back on a white horse with the army of heaven, battle of Armageddon, that he's going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. You say, how do you know all that? It's in this book. At the end of a thousand years, Satan's going to lead one last rebellion. Jesus is going to crush it. Great white throne judgment. Judge all the loss of all the ages. Going to bring in a new heaven, new earth, new creation, new Jerusalem. We're going to dwell there with him forever. If you're born again, you're saved. For all of eternity, fellowship with him and one another. You say, how do you know that's going to happen? Because God says it's going to happen. Why would God reveal that stuff to us? Because he wants you to be there. Because he wants you to prepare. He wants you to get saved. He wants you to understand what he's going to do. I can only say this as kindly as I can. Only a fool would know all that and not do anything. Only a fool would know what God has said and go, well, that's nice to know, but I'm not going to prepare. I'm not going to do anything. The height of foolishness. I would say... If you're not saved tonight, if you've never been born again by faith in Jesus Christ, the number one priority in your life should be to prepare your soul to meet your maker. And that means come to Jesus, confess your sin, and ask him to save you. That's what you need. That should be the top priority in your life tonight. Now, Joseph interprets these dreams, and I like it. Look down at verse 26. Joseph was enabled by God to do what nobody else could do. 
He said to the king, to Pharaoh, the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. In other words, each of the good cows and the, and the, and the good grain all represents seven years. Verse 27, and the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. Verse 28, this is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. Verse 30, but after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. Verse 31, so the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following. Now look at this, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because this thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. That's awesome. That's incredible. Joseph standing there all by himself. Well, he wasn't by himself. He's standing with God. And you're a majority when you're standing with God. And so all them guys standing around in the room and Joseph lays it on them. The man had dreams about a famine that's coming. You're going to have seven years of wonderful plenty. God's going to bless the land of Egypt like you've never seen. But when that seven years is up, seven years are coming like you ain't ever seen. It's going to be a famine, and there's going to be no food left. So Joseph puts it on him. Now, what's the purpose of the famine? And so I'm not sure, Pastor. Yes, you do. You're smart. Let me tell you what it is. You know this. What is God ultimately doing in this whole picture? Joseph's life, the whole thing. He's preparing a people, isn't he? He's going to get Jacob and them rascal boys ahead. But they won't be rascals when they get there because you're going to find out here in the next few weeks that Joseph, God's going to use Joseph to break their hearts and they're going to get humbled. What God is doing is this. God is going to move Jacob and them boys into Egypt, into Goshen, and incubate them. He's going to put them in a land where he can protect them. Why? Because they're over there in Canaan, and we already read the, 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 the wild story about Judah, right? And all that's going on with him marrying off his boys to, to Canaanite women. And so what God's going to do is bring them over to Egypt, put them in a land where they can take care of them, and he's going to grow them from 70 to about a million and a half. And he's going to create a nation that he promised Abraham. And he's going to use Egypt to do it. And so when you back out and you zoom out on this thing, you see that all that happened in Joseph's life was perfectly in keeping with God's plan. And God's going to use Joseph to do all of this. So this famine is coming so that Jacob and those boys will be in need. And they're going to have to go down to Egypt to get food. And when they go down there to get food, guess who they're going to see sitting in charge of everything? The brother, the brother that they forsook. And God's going to use that whole thing to get him down there and grow his nation. And what's amazing is from the time Jacob and them boys go into Egypt, God's going to grow them to a million and a half before Moses leads them out of there. So God had a plan for this famine and why he sent them there. Now, Joseph's on a roll now. He's told them the interpretation. And this is where all his, all his experience starts to come in because what has Joseph been doing? He was in charge of Potiphar's entire house. Remember that? Managing everything in Potiphar's house, managing his affairs, managing his money, managing his food, his servants, everything. And then when, his, when Potiphar's wife lied on him and had him thrown in prison, what's he doing in prison? He's managing 
all the stuff put under his care in the prison. He's taking care of the prisoners. He's managing. So what does Joseph do? He tells him the interpretation, and then he says this. Look at verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the affair over the land of Egypt. Now, I'll pause there again. I don't see anywhere in here where Pharaoh asked for his opinion. I'm just saying. Joseph is standing there. He tells Pharaoh the interpretation. And don't you think for just a moment that everybody in the room is letting his interpretation of dreams soak in. They're, they're pondering it. They're thinking about it. And I think Pharaoh is thinking about it. But before, Th before Pharaoh can do anything and formulate any ideas, Joseph already knows what they need to do. And he says to him, you know what you need to do, sir? You need to find somebody who's smart, and you need to set them over this thing. And you need to prepare. Look at what else he said in verse 34. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth, 20% of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven good years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then the food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. Boy, I like it. Joseph, before they could even... Before Pharaoh could come up with an idea while his men are still standing around, probably dumbstruck from the fact that Pharaoh could, uh, that Joseph could interpret the dreams, Joseph says, oh, and by the way, since this famine's coming, here's what you ought to do. You ought to find somebody and put them in charge and put them in charge of the whole land and, and, and start collecting 20% of the, of the growth and increase that's coming in those seven good years because God's going to bless you with bounty. You need to save some of it. And then when the famine comes, all that food will be stored up and the land won't perish. Man, he's on a roll, isn't he? I mean, he's told them to dream, and now he's telling them how they ought to run the government. We need some Josephs, that's all I can say. We need somebody with some wisdom. Look at verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, and look at the last part of this, and in the eyes of who? His servants. Boy, don't you just love that. All them guys that are standing around when Joseph said, we need to put somebody in charge and collect 20%, every one of them are nodding their head. That's exactly what we need to do. And Pharaoh's like, that's exactly what we need to do. And Pharaoh said in verse 38 to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God, Elohim? I don't think Pharaoh was a believer, but he's on the right path, okay? Because he recognized that Joseph's God knows what's going on. Verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. Man, from the prison house to being praised by the Pharaoh. Only God does that. Verse 40. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Verse 42. Then Pharaoh, look at this took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. This doesn't mean anything, but just pause right there. Why is it every time a king wants to exalt somebody, they put gold chains around their neck? I mean, every, you find that everywhere. If you know the biblical reason for that, I don't know what that is. I think just as an outward sign. The king, you have the king's favor Here's some stuff to wear on your neck. I don't know, okay? Maybe it had an amulet on it, you know, like his ring. I don't know. But he puts gold chains on his neck. Verse 43. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee 
So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zephnath paneah and he gave him as a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, however you say that, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. What a change that happened in one day. I mean, think about that. We're going to close. Joseph wakes up in the morning in the jail. Hmm. Another day of dealing with the prisoners, you know, another day of, of managing the jail. So he's off doing his business. Suddenly somebody comes down and says, where's that Hebrew kid down here that deals with dreams? I don't know who told on him, but there he is. You come with me. Man, next thing he knows, he's in the barber's chair getting a shave. They give him a shower, put new clothes on him, and boom, he's in front of Pharaoh. Maybe shocked and a little starstruck, interprets this dream, and before the day's over, he's riding in the number two chariot, wearing the gold thing around his neck. Think about this before we close. When Potiphar's wife heard <laughs> that there's a new man in town, there's a new sheriff in town who's senior to her husband, she must have been looking for the first train out. I mean, I don't know. But you know what? On a serious note, what a, what a testimony to the character of this young man that never... And all the people who mistreated him, did he ever? Never. Never did he go back to get his pound of flesh out of people who had mistreated him. Rather, in very much Christ-likeness, he was very forgiving and very compassionate. And you'll find out as we finish the study of his life over the next several weeks, he never let the position that God raised him to ever go to his head. He never became big-headed and consumed with his own power and with himself. Rather, he always still trusted about and what God would do with him in the position that God gave him. That's the last thing I would say is this. God grant us the same focus that this young man had, the same abilities to trust God that this young man had. If you're here tonight and you've never been saved, I would give you the opportunity to do that now. If you're watching online or you're watching this video later, you can pray to receive Christ wherever you are. Wherever you are, pull the car over, sit on your couch, whatever the deal is, stop and pray. Ask God to forgive you and save your soul right now, wherever you are. If you're here tonight and you need Jesus, you've never been saved, your eternal destiny hangs in the balance. God has warned us in this book. He's told us what he's going to do. Don't waste the opportunity to prepare. Let's pray. God, thank you for the life of Joseph and what it teaches us. Thank you for having it recorded in this book so we can read it. God, forgive us for our, our hard-heartedness. Forgive us for our rebellion, God, our unbelief. God, uh, help us. Help us to be like Joseph, to be trusting in you always. And God, no matter where you have us in life, Lord, help us to know that you have a plan. And God, we praise you for it. Maybe there's somebody here tonight, Lord, a man or a woman, a young person. Maybe there's someone watching us online. And Lord, they need Jesus. They need him desperately. God, right now, I pray you would save them. Lord, just move on their heart that they would call on you and confess their sin and say, God, I'm a, I'm a sinner and I confess it. Lord, I'm guilty. Forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus right now. I ask for your forgiveness.
God, you'll save all who will ask. Bless the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing. If I can pray with you or you have questions, you come on the first verse. I have decided to follow Jesus. being here tonight. If you heard something that you have questions about or you want to talk to somebody, don't leave without seeing me or Bill or Jeff or someone. We'll be glad to, to talk with you about Christ for sure. So make sure you're saved tonight before you leave. Uh, I pray you have a blessed week. Let's pray as we go. Father, thank you for this night, for the one and the workers, God, and for all that you've done in our lives today. Uh, you're a great God. Lord, we thank you for saving us. Uh, give us opportunity this week to share the gospel with the lost. Give us opportunity, Lord, to be back here Wednesday for our Bible study time. In Jesus' name, amen.